invite you to stand as we sing hymn number 260. He is able to deliver you. Thank you. you. may be seated unless you celebrate a birthday or an anniversary. We have one over at the piano. It's a birthday today. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you with us. A few things from the bulletin here. First of all, uh, Wednesday night, need to have a meeting with the deacons and trustees following the evening service. So guys, if you can plan on that. Uh, Christmas missions offering, December the 4th. And uh, this is a special offering that we take uh, to be an extra blessing to our missionary center of our church. And uh, so if you can plan to help that way, that'd be great. Uh, Christmas program uh, is going to be December 11th. Uh, the Word Became Flesh. It will start at uh, 10.30 for the morning worship, and uh, looking forward to that. The choir's been working really hard. I know it'll be a blessing. Our ladies' Christmas party will be the 15th uh, at our house. Our address is there in the Bolton. Start about 7 o'clock. Bring a $10 gift for the exchange and some finger foods. 
And then uh, we'll have the Gilson Christmas on December the 18th. And um, we'll have a, a box out on the 11th. And uh, you can uh, gift cards to Walmart. If you want to write him a check, make it out to Dan Gilson. And, and we'll collect all those. And then we'll give them to him on the 18th to be a blessing to them as they raise their grandchildren. And then uh, Christmas patch program be December the 18th in the afternoon. And looking forward to that. Then... Uh, from the prayer area here, ask that you remember to pray for the Potts family. They're in New York with his mother, and uh, just any time she'll probably be going home to meet the Lord. And so if you'd be praying for them, and then pray for B. Cooper. Uh, they took her last night uh, to the hospital, and I guess Shawnee Mission's full, and so she ended up out here at Prairie Star. And uh, so they've got her uh, observing her and giving her oxygen and stuff, so praying for her. All right, well, it's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you with us. We're, uh, teens are going to stay in here. The uh, Marinos stayed in Texas a little bit longer. And uh, then we're going to have Brother Foster come lead us in song, and we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you. Sing hymn number 355, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We'll sing the first and the last verses. Class, we are in lesson number six. There are new handouts that were on the back table. Does anyone need one? Several need one. Jay, could you and Logan help me and go back there and get those outlines off the table and hand them out to the people with their hands up? All right, they'll be right back with those. As you're waiting on that, you can be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. 
Um, in this series, we're going through things that are not what we think, and our fleshly human mind, uh, we have a certain way that we think. If you'd raise your hands, they're back in here with those. Keep your hands up till you get yours. Things are not the way that we would reason them to be, and we're going through uh, things in the Bible, topics in the Bible that are contrary to our way of thinking, and it's, we're trying to conform our way of thinking to God's way of thinking in this series. So today we are looking at uh, this topic of love your enemies. Now, our flesh does not want to do that. Uh, we want to retaliate, we want to get revenge, but the Bible tells us and commands us that we are to love our enemies. And we find our text here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 43. Jesus speaking here says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. This is what the world's philosophy would be. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So this portion of Scripture, I know uh, Brother Marino's been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and this portion of Scripture is taken from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And the verses begin with a phrase Jesus used no less than five times in this section of His sermon, Ye have heard. So these are things that we ought to be familiar with as Christians, as we study the Word of God, as we read through the Word of God, we ought to be familiar, and we ought to take note that God wants us to hear some things, not only hear them, but then put them into action. So He uses this phrase, you have heard, uh, but I say unto you. So this is what the world says, this is what man's philosophy would have you to do, but I have something better for you. So each time Jesus used this phrase, He contrasted what His listeners had heard taught by the scribes and the Pharisees with what God actually wanted them to do. And all of us need to be reprogrammed in our thinking to be uh, aligned with God's way of thinking. Um, again, our flesh, our sinful nature goes against uh, God's desire for our life and the way that Jesus lived His life. So we must learn what God desires and then conform ourselves to God's uh, purpose and His plan for us. So what the people had heard were distortions of the Old Testament law. For instance, the Old Testament law taught that the greatest commandment is to love God wholly, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. It goes on to say in Leviticus 19.18 that thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So we, we find here that the religious leaders of the day, they had twisted these words of the second great commandment to say, yes, you should love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemies. In fact, this teaching of hating one's enemies had become a custom among the Jews. Uh, in his sermon, Jesus refutes the misinterpretation that they, are used, uh, that they were using in the practice of that day with this command. But I say unto you, love your enemies. So he's combating it head on, and he's dealing with the subject at hand that was an issue of their day. His words not only went against what his listeners had learned and thought, but they also went against our human nature. So let's consider this thought of loving people. 
and we can categorize people in, in three different areas or, or three different, different uh, aspects of, of the ability to love them, if you will. First of all, we see those that are easy to love. And these would be people typified in such a way that uh, they're nice and they have a good disposition. They're willing to help you and are generally easy to get along with. Now, I hope that that would characterize the members of Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple. I hope that we're nice and that we're easy to get along with and that uh, we get along with others well. Uh, so those type of people, they're easy to love. Uh, they're easy for us to get along with. But then there's a second category of people, those who are difficult to love. These people are selfish and oblivious to the needs of others. They tend to be more one-sided in their relationship with you. No matter how much you invest in them, they're always taking without reciprocating your kindness, and they will happily use you for something they want. Now, there's probably a lot of people in the world that fit into that, or that category, but there are also some that fit into this third category, those who seem impossible to love. These are the people who hate you. They are jealous of you. Their personality clashes with your personality. Possibly they are even out to get you. You might call them your enemies. Now, it's interesting that Christ called us to love the first and even the second group of people. If, if that was all He called us to do, I would think in our fleshly mind we could seem that to be reasonable or relatively easy to do. But that third area where He calls us to love those people that hate us, that we would consider our enemies, we can't do that in our flesh. We need some help. We need God's help in order to accomplish this. So as we consider this word love, we need to understand what God is saying when He uses that term love. We understand this, that is a present active imperative tense. Now maybe if you're still going through school, you don't understand that yet, but I'm sure all these older People in this room understand that, right? Because we're all good English scholars. Um, I know that I just excelled at English. It was my favorite subject. Um, not so much. I preferred math over English any day. But understanding this, I understand English is important. And it's, it's important for us as we study the Word of God, uh, the way in which words were used. So this is a present active imperative tense. So to break that down into terms I can understand, it means... It's not a one-time act, but a continual action. So it's something that we are to do continually. In other words, keep on loving your enemies. So you don't do it once and then it's over with. You continue to love your enemies. So in the English language, we have essentially one word for love. But in the New Testament, there are three words for love taken from the Greek. And they are, first of all, eros taken from the name of the pagan god, which describes a physical or sensual love. Philos refers to the affection or sense of fondness in love. It might describe love between friends and family members. For instance, we know the name Philadelphia, which is city of brotherly love, and it's based on this word, agape. You've probably heard the word agape. It is the highest form of love and the one used in our text. This kind of love is willing, is a willing, sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of others without the thought of return. 
It is the kind of love that characterizes God Himself and is only possible for us to demonstrate as we allow Christ to love others through us. So when I consider agape love, I consider the gift that God gave through Jesus Christ. He gave Jesus Christ. None of us were deserving of the gift, but yet He loved us without expecting anything in return. He loved us and He was willing to give of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, on that we might be saved through Him. So self-love is one of the indicators Scripture gives us of the last days. Now, we understand this agape love. It's not prevalent in our society today. But it is the type of love that God calls us to. And it flies in the face of our society, and it promotes, uh, which promotes a selfish philosophy. Uh, it's all about what is in it for me. If I'm going to love you, if I can get something out of it. Or I'm going to pursue you if there's something I can get in return. But 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. But this is contrary to God's calling on our life as Christians. God calls us to love others as Jesus did. This kind of love makes a difference in the lives of people. And that's what we're here for, is it not? As Christians, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're here to make a difference. We're here to make an impact on this world. And that impact that we should have would be to uh, compel them to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling them and inviting them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way that we make a difference is to love the way that God loves. That's what made the difference in our heart, isn't it? We understood the love of God and sending His only begotten Son on our behalf, and we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. So we accepted, we accepted God's love. And because of that love that made a difference in us, then we should desire to make a difference in the lives of people around us. D.L. Moody understood this, and he once told a story of a little boy in Chicago who attended a Sunday school class regularly. When his parents moved to another part of the city, the boy continued attending the same Sunday school despite having to take a long, tiresome walk to get there. The boy's friend asked him why he went so far, given that there were Sunday school classes in other churches nearer to his new home. He's responded this way. He said, they may be as good for, for others, but not for me, he answered. The question then begged to be asked, why not? Because they love a fellow over there. Moody went on to say, if only we could make the world believe that we loved them. There would be fewer empty churches and a smaller proportion of our population who never darken a church door. Let love replace duty in our church relations and the world will soon be evangelized. So love is the key to the ministry of the gospel. And it must be something that is prevalent in our lives, that others might be able to see it and witness it and then be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ through it. So loving our enemies is an impossible task if we look for this love in our own hearts. But since God commands us to love our enemies, He also enables us to do so. So we're going to understand here in this lesson how God equips us uh, to love our enemies. Now, as we consider the, the grand scheme of what God desires for this humanity, what is His desire? That all men would be saved. So that includes those that are easy to love, those that are difficult to love, and those that we deem impossible to love. God desires all of them to be saved. So the need of every man's heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what category we put them in. 
they need Jesus Christ. And what's going to fix a relationship where uh, two people are at odds? The only person that can fix it is the Jesus Christ Himself in a relationship with Him. So we desire to see our enemies saved that we might have a right relationship with them because of what Jesus Christ does in the hearts of our lives. So in this lesson, we're going to look at three ways we learn to express the counter-cultural choice to love our enemies. First of all, we need to appreciate the sacrifice of love. We have to understand that in order to love the way God loves, it calls us to sacrifice. To love as Christ loves, we first need to understand His love toward us. So let's look at the scope of God's love. The scope of God's love. It's easy to think that God's love extends to good people who generally lead a principled and moral upright life. But understand this, since God's love is infinite, it cannot be limited to a select group. It extends to everyone, from an innocent child to a cold-blooded murderer. That's uh, hard for us to fathom, isn't it? That type of love. But God loves all mankind. So God's love, then, is limitless. It's limitless. Its recipients include the entire world, every nation, every tribe, every culture. It reaches every community and country across the globe. When Jesus died on the cross, He had every single individual who would ever live in this world on His mind. We know the verse very well. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And what does it say next? That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God uh, sent Jesus Christ to die for all mankind. So God's love is limitless. He wants a relationship with every human being. God's love is immeasurable. Have you ever looked up into the sky and felt overwhelmed by the vastness that you see? Now, the past few nights, uh, I get the opportunity to go outside quite a bit to take care of animals in the dark. So, uh, in the busyness of life, often we do not stop to think about God's creation and what He's done. But I happened to just look up in the sky and the stars were out so bright. It just brought joy to my heart to think of the awesomeness of our God and the, the creator of this universe and how vast it is. And again, it's hard for our finite minds to grasp it. In Ephesians 3.17 says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So as we look at this creation and we're, we're blown away by the vastness of it, the beauty of it, what God has done in creation, it's harder for us to understand and comprehend the love of God. It's immeasurable. We can't put a scale to it. Not only is it limitless, And it's immeasurable, but it's also inseparable. He will always be for us and by our side to guide and to comfort us. Nothing can sever us from His love. Not the greatest sin or the fiercest trial. Romans 8, verse 38, very comforting words to us as Christians as we understand our security in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul here says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm thankful for that. I can understand that things that are going on today around me, nothing can separate me from the love of God today. Nothing tomorrow will separate me from the love of God. God will always love me, and God will always love you. So His love is inseparable. These are three important truths for us to understand as we live this Christian life, that there's nothing that's going to separate me from God's love. I may fail and I may sin, but understand that God still loves me. And I can ask forgiveness of that sin, and God is still going to go on loving me. So His love is limitless, immeasurable, and inseparable. It reminds us of the hymn that I loved to sing, and I hope you enjoy the words of it as well, that Frederick Lehman wrote. Express the scope of God's love in this hymn, The Love of God. And the words of this song are tremendous, and I'll read them to you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. And then that, that final verse, I just love the words to it, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Or could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky? I couldn't have written it better myself. We cannot measure the love of God. You think, uh, if you've been to the ocean and consider uh, the vastness and uh, the amount of water there, and if we could turn that into ink and then take and write upon with a quill in the sky, we could never exhaust writing about the love of God. Before we even knew Him, Christ loved us. When I consider the way that God loves, I understand how short I fall of the love that God has and how much room I have to improve in this area. But God, before, before we even knew Him, understand this, that He loved us. Despite being enemies with God because of our sin, He, became, he came to us. He loved us at our most unlovable state. So that, that should help us love our enemies, understanding that in our sinful nature, in our sinful state, we were the enemies of God, the Bible tells us. What if God chose not to love His enemies? None of us would be saved. None of us would have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ if He did not love His enemies. So we must love our enemies. He came to us, Romans 5, 8 but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our state of being an enemy of God, He still loved us. Colossians 1.21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. 
Ephesians 2.5, Even when we are, were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Well, there's no other way to say it, but the scope of God's love is simply amazing. It's mind-blowing. But yet, it's what God calls us to. So we understand here, the best that we can, that the scope of God's love is beyond what we can fathom. But then we must understand the sacrifice of God's love. So true love comes with a cost. God did not only express His love in word, He demonstrated it by giving us His only begotten Son. Christ left the splendor of a perfect heaven and condescended to earth to die for His own creation. He died for us that we who are dead in sin can find new life in Him. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says this, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And 1 John 4.10 goes on with this thought. says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So this is the ultimate demonstration of love. When Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place, He paid the penalty for sin, for your sin and for my sin. What an amazing thought. He was willing to take upon the sins that we committed. The sinless Son of God, who knew no sin, was willing to go to the cross for you and for me and die in our place. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. The curfew time came, but the bell did not sound. The group waited and wondered, and finally someone went to the belfry to see why the bell had not rung. The soldier's fiancée had climbed into the belfry and wrapped her body around the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When the woman was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept as she showed him her bruised and bleeding face, arms, and hands. Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. When we remember Christ's sacrifice for us and His love demonstrated for us, it changes how we see His command to love others. Understanding that Christ loved you and me, willing to lay down His life for His enemies. So we must appreciate the sacrifice of love, but next we must understand the specifics of love. Before we can expect to show this agape love to others, it is important that we understand what it is. What is the biblical definition of love, and how does this love manifest in our treatment towards our enemies? 
We hear the word love used so often in our society and in our culture that we dilute its true definition. We often think of it as a romantic feeling or affection for someone or something. But true love goes much farther than a sentimental feeling. It is a conscious, continuous effort that goes against the ebb and flow of emotion. (laughs) That's important for you to understand. Teenagers, that's important for you to understand that love is not an emotion. Not necessarily a feeling, all those feelings are involved, but it goes beyond that. It's a much deeper thought than that, and that we have to make the conscious effort that I'm going to choose to love. So it's, it's an action that I'm going to choose to love you despite what I might get in return. And actually, love as the Bible describes it doesn't expect anything in return. I'm going to love you because... That's God's desire for me. It's because I want to be like Christ. I'm going to love you and show forth the love of God to you. And the way that I'm going to show God's love is that I'm going to consciously choose to love you. I'm going to continually put forth the effort to love you. And I'm going to do it as long as I am here on this earth. Now this is the commitment that a husband and wife make to one another. And those of us that have been married understand that if... Our love was based on feelings. We'd probably end up with the way that a lot of, <laughs> of marriages in our society end up in divorce. Because those out in the world are basing it on a feeling. So as long as I feel like I can love this person, then I'll stay with them. But when that feeling's gone, then they're gone. But I'm thankful God calls us to a higher love than that. And we can, when we can understand that this life is not about ourselves, and when we can put on the robe of humility, of selflessness, get rid of selfishness, self-centeredness, then that enables us to love as God commands us to love. And it helps us prioritize this, that the love that I show forth to others should be of preeminence in my life because we understand that it's God's love shown towards us that drew us to Jesus Christ that showed us that we were enemies of him that we needed a relationship with him so this love is what we need in order to reach this world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ it's what we need in the relationships that we have today whether it be in that husband and wife relationship or any relationship that we have love must be there and we make we must make this conscious continuous effort to put forth that love so perhaps the most descriptive chapter in the Bible on love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often called the love chapter. We're going to break this down uh, into two parts as we see a detailed definition of Christian love. And I think it's important for us to understand God's definition of love because there's so much in Hollywood today trying to push their idea of love, but that's not the right kind of love at all. So let's look at this power of love. As we read through 1 Corinthians 13, you can turn there and follow along as I go through it. It may be helpful to know that the word charity in this chapter is translated from from the Greek word that we've been talking about, which is agape. Notice verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13, the power of agape love. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, 
so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we understand this. That love or charity as we see here used in this portion of Scripture has to be the driving force in all that we speak, think, and do. Now let's reflect on this past week. How, much, how many of your actions or your attitudes or the words that you've said have been driven by love? Agape love. Speaking right without charity profits nothing. I can have all the right words to say in a situation, but if I do not say them in love, it will not amount to anything. Thinking right without charity profits nothing. I can have all the right Bible positions and convictions on issues, but if I do not have love, it will amount to nothing. Doing right without charity profits nothing. I can go through the motions of generous actions, but if I do not have real love behind those actions, they are nothing. Love is not reserved only for the people we favor or those who treat us well. Love is the channel God wants to use in our lives to reach our enemies. Love is the avenue. Love is the inroad in the heart of the enemy. To break down those walls. It's the love of Christ. So that's the power of love. The particulars of love. Most of us think we're doing okay in the area of love. After all, we love our family and friends uh, and probably are even cordial to the people we don't care about as much. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, we see that God gives us a way to test our love. As we work through these descriptions of biblical love, consider three different people uh, and the particulars of your love toward each. The first uh, category of people is a family member. The second would be a friend or a co-worker. The third would be someone you struggle to get along with. Ask the Lord to expose areas in your life where you need to grow in love. So let's look, continue our reading here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. So he goes on now and he's going to describe what love is. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. How many of us are good with that in our human nature? It goes against our human nature. So let's break these verses down and understand exactly what God is telling us. The first thing we see is that Love is to suffer long. So this means love puts up with inconveniences and is slow to lose patience. <laughs> I'm not doing well on the first one. Love does not demonstrate irritations or have a quick temper. It fully accepts others. We've got several more to go, and I'm having trouble with this first one. Kind. Love looks for ways to be constructive and helpful to others. Do you look for opportunities to be helpful? 
envieth not. Love lifts up others rather than self. It is not possessive or controlling of others. Vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Love is not proud or stuck up. It does not flaunt itself. Again, remember, we're considering three categories of people. Our, our family members, our friends, co-workers, or someone you struggle to get along with. And you're supposed to apply all of these principles in the area of love. Number five, doth not behave itself unseemly. Love is appropriate. It has good manners and respect for others. Seeketh not her own. Love looks for ways to help others. It does not pursue selfish advantages. Number seven is not easily provoked. Love responds properly and is not hypersensitive or easily hurt. It does not take things personally. Thinketh no evil. Love does not keep an account of evil or a record of past wrongs of others. It, does no, it doesn't assume the worst of another. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love does not enjoy what is wrong. It does not gloat or find happiness in the wickedness of others. And it does not use the wrongs of others to justify personal weaknesses. <laughs> Boy, that's an important one. When we measure ourselves against Christ and His nature, we understand we fall short. And that's the only measure that we should be comparing ourselves to. But oftentimes, we compare ourselves to others and we begin to justify our personal weaknesses against others. Number 10, rejoiceth in the truth. Love is excited about what is right. It is glad when truth prevails. Number 11, beareth all things. Love carries the load. It has the ability to live with the inconsistencies or burdens of others. Believeth all things. Love gives another the benefit of the doubt. It believes in the person's worth without question. Number 13, hopeth all things. Love always hopes for the best in another. And where there is sin or failure, love hopes for future growth. I'll come back to that point 13 in just a moment. 14, endureth all things. The love keeps on keeping. Love keeps on keeping on no matter what. It is able to outlast obstacles and even unreturned love. Now, young people, I would admonish you as you seek relationships in your life, especially those that you're looking for as a future spouse, that you measure the love that they say they have for you against this portion of Scripture. This is the kind of love that you need to have for one another. And it's the kind of love that we need to demonstrate to one another as well. That point 13, hope with all things, it says that love always hopes for the best in another. Uh, and I think I've told this story before. When we were in Virginia, we had a pastor named Pastor Bonds, and he was a very loving man. And I remember a subject came up about an individual, uh, about just their future in ministry and what was going on in their life. And I won't get into the details of what was going on, but he summed it up at the end of the conversation and said this statement. He says, yes, I understand 
but that leaves God out. That leaves God out of the question. That leaves God out of what He can do in, that life of the, in the life of that individual where He can seek to restore and to, to heal things. And we need to understand that that's the type of attitude we need to have towards people, that we need to pursue the good in one another, and we need to exhort the good in one another and lift up one another and, and help each other in hopes for future growth. So this is quite a list of things that I think all of us would admit we have room for improvement. But this is the type of love that God calls us to. And it's what God desires in our lives because He knows, as we've said before, this is the avenue that right relationships can be built. It's the avenue in which God uses to reach the hearts of our enemies. So love is what we must have in our lives in order for God to be able to use us in the way that He desires. As we, as we read through verses 1 through 3, we understand that we can, we can understand biblical truth, we can have the right doctrines, but if we don't have love, then it is of no effect as we try to reach the lost. So we must have this characteristic of agape love. God's definition of love is higher and pure, purer than ours. This is the kind of love that God wants to produce in each of us. And this kind of love that actually makes a lasting, valuable difference in the lives of others, especially our enemies. So I'll have you ponder on this. Think about relationships in your life, whether it be a, uh, your mom or your dad or your uh, relationships within your, your family, your extended relatives, or relationships even within this church body. And I would venture to say the ones that you value the most are those that are characterized by this kind of love. The people that love you no matter what. The people that will seek out to help you when you're hurting or to pray for you or to lend a helping hand, whatever it might be. When they exemplify this type of love, that's the relationship that you desire to be around, isn't it? That's a relationship that you want to have. And as you understand and recognize that and value that relationship in your life, why should you not reciprocate that type of love towards others? And then we'll take it to the next level. This is the type of love that God's extended to us. And because God extended His love to us, then we ought to desire to reciprocate His love to those around us, to those within our church body, to those in our family, to the lost out in this world. They need to see agape love, the love of God, living in us, living through us, that we might be able to be effective in ministering to the lives of individuals around us. But you and I don't have to try to conjure up this love on our own strength. Aren't you thankful for that? As we read through those descriptions, in our flesh and in our own strength, we're not capable. But what can we do? We simply have to yield to the Holy Spirit of God And that spirit of love will be able to flow through us. He'll enable us to love the way that He loves. We have a third area to look at next week, the yield to the spirit of love. But we have much to think about and consider here as we've looked at uh, the sacrifice of God's love and then we looked at the specifics of love. And I think it would do us well to, to dissect each one of these areas that we looked at, these 14 characteristics that we see in, in uh, 1 Corinthians here. And, help, and ask God to help us exemplify this love this week and then in the weeks to come. And see how God can work through you in relationships and the ability to reach out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others.
The key is love. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that you loved us and that you desired a relationship with us. And Father, I'm thankful that you were willing to send your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to exemplify that love towards us. And the state of an enemy towards God, that you were willing to send him to die for us and that we can have a relationship with you. And Father, I'm thankful that you expressed agape love towards us. And I pray that you'd help us now as we seek to serve you with our lives. Help us to understand and to to take on this agape love in our lives that we might have an effective ministry in the lives of individuals around us. And I pray that you'd help each one of us to work on areas where we need improvement and these, uh, the way that you've described love is to act. And Father, I pray that you'd just help us to have an effective ministry in the lives of individuals around us. And Father, I pray that you'd just help us now in the service to follow, open our hearts once again to receive your word and to act upon it in the way that you would have us to. Father, we thank you and praise you for your love. And we're thankful that you first loved us. And Father, I pray that you just now dismiss us with your care. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for your kind attention. You have about 10 minutes before the worship hour.